0: welcome to the road point exchange this is adam and today i'm joined by my illustrious co-host alphabetically
1: uh shit which comes <laughs> i think Jay comes first doesn't it <laughs> yes when you've got like adam and chris that's easy when you get into like the middle of the alphabet it's like oh yeah, yeah i'm not wait, as smart wait. as i thought i was
2: <laughs> it's joe and i'm here and we're we're gonna be talking yeah don't do these talkies too often,
1: <laughs> and I'm Patrick. I'm glad to have both of you back.
0: It's been a long time, and you know i'm starting to, I think I'm starting to get the in the beginning when we were coming up with these topics. It's like, well, I could do everything. there's like tons of them now we've been doing this for four or five years and fifty some episodes of talkies, and you know i'm ever I'm kind of like, what are we gonna do and then I recalled the force in the dark, and in particular, Patrick, you were the one who introduced it to mhm. I'd heard of it beforehand. I know Ray from Insert Quest here had did a uh, campaign, and I kept noticing him posting, you know, updates for his actual play campaign. But you were the first one to kind of get us, uh, get me into it. And since then, I have purchased three Forge in the Dark games and ran none of them.
1: Oops. I think that's what they call a rookie mistake.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like my, my bookshelf of shame. Yeah, in this episode, I would really like us to kind of talk about, in general, Forts in the Dark, but in particular, I would like uh, us to kind of explore Blades in the Dark, and if you have any experience with um, Scum and villainy, that would be great too, and then we're going to kind of finish things up with uh, Band of Blades, because that's the game that... I mentioned this off mic, but I'll mention it again. I can remember seeing that book and like, ooh, that's pretty, because the books are absolutely beautiful. I love the production value that Evil Hat puts into them. I love the texture of the books. I love all of that. And I picked it up, mentioned to Joe, and he's like, I think you either had purchased it at Gen Con Joe, or you were thinking about it. Is that right? Oh, no, I had definitely bought it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, you know what? I'll run it. And then I opened the book up, and I was like, Oh shit! I feel like I just signed up to take the GRE and I have not studied for it yet.
1: Yeah, it's it's intimidating.
0: It's intimidating, but it doesn't look like that in the beginning to me. And but as I got into it, was so kind of in traditional Rpx Adam style here. I kind of am wanting to talk about my process of going about and actually starting a campaign of band of Blades, which. Was supposed to happen earlier this month, but scheduling issues came up, and I took that as an excuse to hide from that book again for a little while. Which <laughs> nothing against the book, but it looked like work to me. So I'm kind of looking for a pep talk and at the same time reassurance, gentlemen. If that works,
1: sure, sure. Um, so should we start with like the the one that sparked it all off? Yeah. So blades in the dark. Yeah. Is. Dishonored the RPG, but like three years before the two D twenty Dishonored RPG, <laughs> and
2: probably better.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I read I read through the Dishonored thing. One, I, I wasn't super impressed. There's some concepts I'm on to take about that. The art's nice. It's it's a pretty book. Yeah, but uh, I don't know if I'd want to play it. Uh, yeah, and it is. I think part of what made it like quite a big success is it is one of those games that really roots itself in a in a genre that isn't just go place kill stuff or investigative horror, which are like the two big represented ones. And it's specifically about like trying to do cool heist shit. Right. And there wasn't really much in the way of like crime RPGs. I would think before that, I mean, you know, you, you have like shadow run, but even that was like, didn't really have much in the way of. It doesn't facilitate the, the, yeah. The heist. Really, like, yeah. Try to genre emulate at all. Whereas I think, um, I think Blade's definitely set out to do crime, right?
2: Yeah, the only other one I can think of that even makes an attempt to simulate a, a heist is uh, Leverage.
1: Mm, and yeah. yeah,
2: the Cortex stuff. And Honey Heist. Huh? Well, Honey Heist is its own <laughs> special <laughs> beast. Please continue, I interrupted you. That's all right. And having never played it, I can't really speak to how effective it was. I've read the book. It seems like it might work. But Cortex is supposed to do a whole bunch of stuff, and I can never find anybody who's interested.
1: I played a few Cortex games back in like uni because there was a there was a time when Cortex was kind of the the D twenty thing. If you were going to license an, an IP to make an but, RPG, you did it in Cortex, not D twenty. So I've played like the Firefly one and the Battlestar Galactica one, um, but I think Leverage passed us by.
2: Yeah, I mean uh, that was. Uh margaret weiss striking out on her own right and um yeah she had a whole bunch of stuff uh, those three leverage there was a supernatural one uh they were supposed to do a new edition called uh, cortex prime or maybe it was cortex plus or i don't it was i think it was
1: kickstarted but i don't know what happened to it after that who knows maybe maybe ken whitman got his hands on it
0: um, I, I got a quick question about your initial draw to Blades in the Dark, and also we'll kind of go into like a description of it there, but was it really the, what brought you to it? Was it the heist aspect of it, or was it more of the setting and the general feel of the game? They uh, two may be the same, too. I may have just received yeah, the same thing um, twice.
1: Yeah, uh, I think it was I'd played the first Dishonored and really liked it, and there was a lot of buzz around Blades in the Dark around the time of its Kickstarter. Which was, you know, hey, remember Dishonored? If you if you like that, you'll like this. And so we, you know, exactly. our, our group got a got a, our hands on it and, and gave it a try. And yeah, we ended up really, really enjoying it and played a full campaign. We keep talking about going back to but haven't yet, but we tried to.
0: <laughs> yeah. So what is exactly what you say is the setting for those unfamiliar with Dishonored? Like what, what are we kind of dealing with?
1: I would call it like gothic whale punk. <laughs>
2: I would say more early modern dark fantasy.
1: Okay. Yeah, the setting is the, the city of Duskval. This is one of the things where we say this is just dishonored because it's, it's done well with a couple of letters changed. It is a, a city in a, I think I think the meta story is that it was like the aftermath of someone's Dungeon World campaign. Because like the, the sun has broken and the gates of death rent asunder, the oceans have turned black, and there's all this like big picture like heavy metal album cover stuff going on. But that's like in the background, and you're like going street to street picking pockets uh, in in this this like industrial whaling like former whaling town, like the the big industry of like going out into the sea, hunting down a whale demon, and rendering its fat down for for fuel. Uh, That industry has been moved to another city. So there's like a huge recession, poverty's everywhere, and you want to not be in poverty. So, you know, you are out there to make your name through various means of crimes.
0: I think about all the uh, Fortunate Dark games I've had experience with in some shape, form, or fashion, you know, have kind of attached themselves to indirectly, you know, not blatant, Well, some would be blatantly, but they're kind of attached to known kind of settings or properties. Yeah. Properties, yeah. But, when and there were kind of an aspect to it as well as like pe- a peaky blinders. Cause I know there's been hacks for it for like a Peaky Blinders kind of
1: um well Peaky Blinders is set in like it's it's not fantasy at all. It's set in 1920s Birmingham. Um it's based it's based off of a real gang very loosely. Like the Peaky Blinders was, was the name of a real um horse betting racket in in the UK. But it, it, it was also like the production is quite stylized and because it's like in like late industrial revolution stuff, it's set in the, like the shadow of all these massive factories and everything's dirty and smoky, but people are wearing like nice suits and have, have like very elegant hair, uh, very and, nice skin and yeah. fingers and, and <laughs> indecipherable accents. <laughs> I went to uni in Birmingham. I can say that. Uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> Another way to go to, to look at it is like, you know, if, if, if you're Ishmael and you, and uh, it's the beginning of Moby Dick, but you can't get on a whaling ship, so you're just stuck in Nantucket, and what that would be like, a.k.a. Hmm. terrible.
1: The uh, <laughs> yeah. Thief. The Thief games are also a big inspiration.
2: So I think I'd like to go ahead and jump straight
0: into our actual first playthrough of this game and give you some of my impressions of it. So my first impressions of it was it was kind of loosely based on the Powered by the Apocalypse engine, so to speak, even though, I mean, there's great differences, there's kind of a connection between those two. Now, maybe I just kind of assumed that because of publishers and stuff like that, but I think the Forge owes some of its creation to uh, the Powered by the Apocalypse system.
2: I don't think that's an unreasonable conclusion.
1: I think John Harper has said as much that it started life as a PBTA hack that he then like just ended up building a whole engine for
0: my big selling point too so i enjoyed the game you if you're curious about it it was the seven mutes as in the actual play uh backlog here on rpx but i you know first time playing it totally enjoyed it was very impressed with the interface that evil had had got for their game on row 20 i mean it's almost like a damn programmer had turned around and made an RPG game. It just—I love that was one of my big impressions. I just loved how the character sheet looked and how how everything flowed in that particular format that you would set up for us. And you told me something, and I still mm-hmm. think—I don't think you were—I don't think you were gaslighting me on this because I—this is my big appeal to all of this, and I still think it holds true even after reading both books. Is that it is kind of. Light on the GM prep side, so to speak, uh, that was one of the things that you mentioned. So, to me. Sort of,
1: yeah. Like, if it, it does, I think require an, a GM to be fairly good at improv. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're like even slightly okay with just like coming up with stuff on the fly, because it is so much built around like flashbacks and it's very player driven in the approach, you kind of can't like sit down and, and script out a whole thing. So yeah, as, as as a somewhat lazy GM, um, it, it does sort of appeal to me as something that's just like, just wing it <laughs> uh, to an extent. You just sort of come up with a hook and like generally where is something and generally what might be an, op- an, an obstacle. But um, the nature of the game is such that like complications can arise at the player's discretion more than the GM's or as a consequence of the player's actions rather than them simply happening. So it, it it is something that you couldn't approach like sitting down and, and riding out like a D and dungeon, right? You can't just say, "Well, there is one route through here, and, and da, da 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 da, and you know DC thirteen to get over the the acid spike trap that is the only way through into this room," because well, maybe they're not doing a dungeon crawl, maybe they're like doing a social encounter on this lich, kind of yeah, you know you 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 have to approach it somewhat differently as a GM.
0: Now I know they have this in Blades, but in uh, Band of Blades, excuse me, but in Blades in the Dark, is there? I, it's been a while since we played. Is there? There's kind of. A, is there a role that you, that a player would make that actually tells them where exactly they begin in the scenario, so to speak? Like we're we're robbing uh, this uh, mansion while the owners are away, kind of stuff like that. Is there? Because I know in Band of Blade,
1: yes, there's the engagement role, which determines the starting situation, which is like the. So again, we're going kind to of have to mess around here. But um, one of the things that also makes it kind of distinctive is uh, how it handles time in that like Shadowrun, like famously, if you were planning a heist, you'd spend six hours looking at blueprints and then roll dice for two hours. Um, uh, Blades in the Dark sort of says, well, what if we just cut out the six hours and start rolling dice? Um, and that's what the, the engagement role is, is just summing up that six hours of, of people sitting down and prepping and just being like, well, you generally did OK. And now we start with you entering the building. And if you want to specify anything, you can flash back to it. Um, Band has that with, uh, I think it's still called the engagement role. Uh, Scumblini also has it. Yeah, it's it's a staple throughout the big three. Okay, cool.
0: That's one of the things that I liked. And I know I'm kind of taking all the time here, but that particular aspect of it that I have experienced—I think I played like maybe four uh, Blaze in the Dark games with you overall. Just. Uh, We just, you know, scheduling and all that, we never did get to finish the kind of campaign arcs, but another reason to join the Patreon. And also I'll start (laughs) uploading those. But uh, I think that what I really like, and all RPG books will kind of hint at this or explicitly say it, I guess you could say, but there's an actual genuine conversation that when you're playing a Force in the Dark game that's going on at the table. So you, like you were mentioned beforehand, we have a loose idea of, of what's going to happen. You have your hook, you have all your stuff. Uh, some of the roles, again, determine how the actual scene kicks off. And, uh, you know, between flashbacks and other things that are going on, the way the game is designed, that, you know, it's you are collaboratively te- building this story with your players. Is that a fair assessment?
1: Yeah. So, like, one, one rule that really springs to mind when I was thinking of this was <clears throat> they have this thing called the um, Devil's Bargain which is basically um, you can gain an extra dice in your pool, but something is going to go wrong. And you have to accept, like you, it's something you can choose to accept or not. Uh, the GM can suggest what the complication is. You can come up with it. Another player can. And because it's that collaborative thing, it sort of has this, wouldn't it be cool if angle to it? Yeah. So like, you know, you you're going to like fake seduce uh, and and sweet talk the the guard here to you know get them to leave their post and and maybe or, or get some information for them and like a devil's bargain might be you develop actual feelings from like like the scam becomes real because like you think it would be interesting to have have some tension in in that or someone like a you know you, you're breaking in but it turns out that someone has been like you break into the like a brand like uh, the the university library uh, and a devil's bargain might be well there's a paper that's due. So there's like a sleeping grad student nearby or something like that. It it will happen if you accept the bargain, but you have control over both what it is and if it even happens.
0: And in my experience, it seems like that's even a thing once you get used to the mechanics of it. This is something that, you know, depending on what what you're trying to avoid or, you know, you need for like when you did the devil's bargain, you get like an extra die of the row, which can, you know, each die that you're getting, you're basically, you almost have like a 50% chance of success anyway. So you're just, you're just amping it up. And this is to the point that the players will ask you to add complications to their player's life, knowing full well that this devil will come due, so to speak.
1: Yes. Yes. The devil's bargain always comes, even if you succeed or the role at the role or you fail, this complication happens. Normally, the, the dice resolution mechanic is like if you get a, a, a six or more, like you succeed with no consequence. If you get a four or a five, you succeed with a little consequence or drama. This is you improve your chance of success, but there will be drama. Okay.
2: I mean, it's uh, taking a risk for success now, trading a fuck up now for a fuck up later. Yeah. Really what you're doing. And not even guaranteed success now.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, kind of the whole um, Forge in the Dark engine, I think, is kind of built around that concept. Um, I, I sort of describe it as, as a, a system for, for brinksmanship, like pushing as, as far to the edge as you can to succeed without going over. You have systems like uh, stress and pushing, which give you like bonus dice or a degree of narrative control or permission to do something you normally can't, um, like a superhuman effect is usually uh, gained by uh, taking stress. Okay. Uh, and it's not like HP or, or sanity, like it doesn't hurt you to have have stress until you get too much uh and then you break and you can break i think four times in most games uh most fortunate games before you yeah. like you, you know you're you're out of the game yeah, the game's changed <laughs> uh, it's a young man's game i can't do it no more
0: joe do you have anything you'd like to add on this uh i if you played an actual were you in any of our blades
2: in the dark i can't recall yeah i played in a couple of uh, patrick's games okay yeah it's just that the uh I feel like it's very well set up to facilitate the heist in that it cut it as has already been described, cuts out the planning. Everything happens in media res. Uh, You can spend stress on flashbacks, which is great. You know, we knew this was coming and this is how we handled it. Um, The recovery mechanic sort of reinforces the, the criminality of your characters because, you know, if, pardon me, if they're really this excellent the whole time, Then how come they're not already successful? Well, they have these vices that they have to indulge to make up for the stress they encounter on the job. So, like that, pretty much (laughs) keeps you, you know, on on the criminal side of things. Even if uh, you're a successful criminal, you're still, you know, you're still riding the edge of respectability at best. Yeah, you're in the game. Right. The only thing I will say is that because of the way the game is designed, it's going to need a GM who can think on their feet and players who are willing to contribute more than is average to a game. I think that's fair. You know, like you're going to need some people who are going to be willing to put their own stories out there and, and and also be willing to fail Yeah. in a lot of other games, the GM is going to have a plan. And then, you know, if they fuck off to go buy the inn and sell, I don't know, red meth to, Kobolds, or whatever, you can roll with the punches. But, like, the day they decide, all right, we're done doing that, back to the regular thing, you know, at any moment in a lot of those games, is what I'm trying to say is that the, the players can return to passivity and sort of rely on the GM to provide them with the adventure. But in Blades in the Dark specifically, uh, that won't work. The players are very passive, or even just of like an average level of passiveness. The, the game is not going to be cohesive because you need them to be proactive and sort of their own, if not seeking their own destruction, then risking it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a little like Red Markets in that it has like a defined out point and you're building your character's retirement, essentially. So you're taking in money. Some of it you'll be spending in game and some of it you're going to be investing into your stash. Um, and like, ideally, you want as much in your stash as possible I think it's like each line of ten, I think you put in your stash, bumps you up basically like a lifestyle category. So obviously you wanna like you wanna retire as Tony Montana, like like you wanna you want the the like mansion something that's like you know wanna get all the way to five. The problem is not getting Tony Montana on your way to the top, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, either the uh you don't you neither wanna get machine gunned nor bury your face in a pile of cocaine. So <laughs> like both are bad outcomes. Uh the machine gunning would come from the uh, rival gangs, which get kind of get built up. That is one of the things that's a little more in the GM's control, I think, is like what are the obstacles to this gang's rise to success. And of course the police, which are called the
1: Bluecoats.
2: Bluecoats. But the you know, burning your face in a pile of coke is purely a function of your character. Like that that's that's a vice. I think yes, it's fair that to say
1: would be it, an overindulgence roll, which can happen. It
2: certainly would be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think mentioning rows just kind of getting into some of the mechanics here. So, for the most part, you're using a D6 for your rows, and you, you know you got your character stat, a character sheet, your, your various stats, and how many ticks you have in something dictates how many dice that you can roll. So, on a D6, if you row a six, that's a success. Now, if you roll a four or five, like I was mentioning a little bit earlier, that's still a success, but that is a partial success. So something is going to happen that you didn't get off scot-free. Either you have less effect than you were wanting to, or you more stress or harm, or, you know, there's, but you still do it, but there's a cost. And then one through three is a failure. And if you get an extra six, so you roll two sixes, and that's your crits that you get there so it's really really simple and really elegant i think and then mm-hmm. as we were kind of alluding to earlier too there's this whole issue with you have uh, stress which is more like a reserve of the book calls it fortitude and luck so you can modify rolls so to speak not modify excuse me i'm thinking gumshoe you can spit like take two stress and you can roll an extra die I don't think, you. if I'm not mistaken, I don't believe uh, you can take two stress and a devil's bargain. It's kind of one or the other.
1: Um, I think push and take a devil's bargain. Okay. You can also take stress to assist someone else, and it's actually cheaper. That's sort of how it fosters the the teamwork of you and a crew, is it is more efficient to help your friend out than it is to help yourself.
0: So if Joe is going to line up the shot, then I could use my... Uh, socialite skill to give him a modifier. So I can say that I walk out and I stumble and drop a stack of newspapers in front of a person and I hold them up while he's lining up the shot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there anything else? I think that's just kind of the core fundamentals of the dice mechanics. Is there anything you would like to add on that?
1: Um, one of the things that it can be difficult to intuit for new players is a role also involves a little bit of a negotiation in terms of scale and effect, um, and so like you'll you'll get used to saying like that you'll you'll get used to saying the phrase risky standard, um, because your each role is like also kind of graded on two scales, going from like how dangerous an action is, so that goes from desperate to controlled, and then the likely outcome of success, which would be like nothing to extreme effect. And like, so the, one of the examples in the book is like, um, you're trying to like knock down a wall with a hammer. And so like, you're not going to knock down a, you know, a hammer, hammer down a wall that would be limited effect or, or no effect. If it's like, a, maybe it's a crumbly shitty old wall. Um, but you know, and then the danger of it might be, well, no one's around that would be controlled. Or maybe you're trying to do this in the middle of a firefight. So that might be risky, uh, or even desperate. And one of the things you can do with stress is change, or with Devil's Bargain is change that slightly more in your favor. So you might push yourself to up the effect in that instance, which would represent like really going John Henry on that wall. (laughs) Or you could like try and uh, trade effect for, uh, trade position for effect, which is like you voluntarily putting yourself in harm's way for uh, greater results. An example of that might be like, I want to go like absolutely ham and i don't care if anyone hurts me as i fight so like i'm not even going to try and defend myself i'm just going to go for this guy's neck can i trade effect for um position for effect and it's like well yeah okay if you if you go you know and and that sort of negotiation with the gm can take a little getting used to i think because most people are used to it being like a very binary success fail and it gets between that and the dice roll with different outcomes It, it its dice resolution mechanic is a bit more shades of well shades of gray granular I guess it has more stages somewhat
2: similar to uh, the burning wheel where you know you're you're trying to negotiate what the you know what the consequences of success and failure are after the roll except uh, you know a little more codified than that.
0: Let's do like a real quick example here. So let's take the previous situation of where Joe's character is wanting to. Uh, snipe somebody. So there's a rival gang leader or whatnot, and so forth and so on. How would we do a negotiation in this particular instance
1: here? What would. um So it would like. We might say, okay, um he doesn't see you. So it's probably not going to be anything lower than risky because, you know, if, if it would be like you're trying to snipe this guy in an active firefight, well, maybe someone like will try and shoot you down. Uh, so let's default it to risky. And then we're talking about like on the the chance of a success is this guy like armored is this guy uh, yeah so so I, I would probably default a risky standard and then we could say like well I want to
2: if I wanted to make sure if I wanted to make sure he's dead so like give up my position as long as I get the shot off that yeah. would increase uh, the effect and then it would kill him and it would also increase the
1: yeah, it could push that up to well, let's to to so risky great, or, yeah. or you could then push yourself take some stress, or to right. push that up to risky uh, extreme. I don't think you can go above extreme, but you might take a devil's bargain, which is like um, you're shooting down a crowded street, and you know you might hit a guy, but you might, you might hit your target, but you might also hit a, a passerby. Right. or well, it's a devil's bargain. You do hit a passerby.
2: Just the question is when and what 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 the damage is. <laughs>
0: God damn! This is reminding me of Red Dead Redemption, man. <laughs> Did you ever
1: play the first Red
0: Dead Redemption?
1: Yes, I, uh, so I haven't played the second one yet.
0: It was, when you keep encountering the mysterious Stranger and he talks about a a, a stagecoach robbery or train robbery or something like that, uh, that J- John Martian had shot somebody or a kid had got killed in the crossfire or something like that, it was, you know. It's just for my it's this is just kind of impressed upon me I always kind of have a, like a soft spot for westerns anyway uh, my grandfather mm. I grew up watching John Wayne westerns with him but I I totally would love to see and I'm sure somebody actually I posted a link to this in a chat two weeks ago but there's actually a fortune in a dark western game
1: yeah it's full of shadows the 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 hack and spin-off scene for fortune and Dark is really fun and active there's a lot going on there <laughs> yeah there's
0: one that you showed me that I fell in love with. It's on my to-do list along with tons of other things like Copperhead County, yeah. which is Southern politics. stuff. But yeah, that's, I, I like that, that aspect of the game here. It's like, what are you willing to spend? What are you willing to give up? And again, like you were saying it, these actions are reinforcing certain aspects of your character. So, you know, you're the blue coat show. saw you shoot this person down or you struck the florist that was selling in your hell of gunfire that took him out, but you also struck a forest. So you killed an innocent
1: person. So you get some bonus heat.
2: Yeah, Yeah. you you disrupted the plot of Pygmalion. (laughs) (laughs) You monster. So yeah,
0: I think that's kind of the basics of the game. And so it's at the same time, I don't know how to feel about this, gentlemen. It's easy that the lifting part of this sounds easy, but again, as we've kind of, I think, off mic, we had a big conversation before you. I recorded it. You all should have listened to. It, but you, there's so many little systems that are running uh, running in this game that it can be a tad bit overwhelming until you get the hang of it. Is what it seems yeah, like.
1: Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't describe it as rules light, but I probably wouldn't call it rules deep. Like as you say, it has a lot of systems, but none of them are particularly uh, requiring mastery or particularly anything advanced like there's a, a system for like structuring out of game time you have uh, so out of out of heist time so you have limited number of action and that's a little set like little subsystem there and then if you get arrested here's a, another subsystem about like how do you handle jail um, you can actually build a character to be good at jail
2: Yes, yeah, Uh cooler king <laughs> yeah I think uh, one of the, the biggest knocks is that Uh, It is composed of a lot of subsystems and they're not necessarily all except for ones that keep track of time, which is basically one subsystem uh, redescribed in several different places. They're not really ultra unified. You know, it's not always roll X number of dice or spend X number of points or so depending on what you're doing, it's going to vary.
0: So I got to admit there's something else I, One of my first impressions of playing Blades in the Dark that I had absolutely no fucking idea what you're talking about. And that was clocks. Now, since that time, I have found the joy of clocks. And I've actually ran a couple of Powered by Apocalypse games, and clocks have come in handy. But that is something that I totally had not experienced beforehand. And you're like, well, I'm going to set a clock to do this, or I'm going to set a clock to do this. And those are words that I understand in different contexts, but I didn't quite get what was going on. So, can you all, you gentlemen, kind of Help me elaborate on how Blades in the Dark has taken this time-honored system of clocks and then made it a very uh, important part of the game.
1: Uh, So it's something that I think, as you say, a lot of people kind of already do uh, or have been doing in their games. um, And it's just kind of um, articulated it in a way that has has resonated and has become kind of game lingo uh, to an extent. And that's basically like, if you want to keep track of like... You know, one of the many subsystems we mentioned is like crafting. So if you're playing like one of the the crew techie and you want to build a gizmo for a heist, you do that through creating a clock. And that's just keeping track of like in an abstract term, I'm about a quarter done. It's a four segment clock. Think like those Trivial Pursuit slices, you know, those like pies you're filling out as you play Trivial Pursuit. That's dating me, isn't it? That reference.
2: I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, I do, and I'm
0: forty.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, and so the number of segments in that circle uh, represents the difficulty or complexity of the task. You make skill checks to fill it, uh, and when it's full, your your thing is complete. The GM can also use those to keep track of other things, like it's a, you're going for like a stealthy infiltration, and so the GM will have like a clock that is like the guards notice you. And so every time you like get a a not absolute success, they'll just pop a pop a segment into the clock. Uh, so it's a good way of like visualizing things and and making things a little like abstract, but in a in a concrete way, which I know makes no sense. Yeah, you know the, the guards have two notice points, and on four, then Metal Gear Solid music starts playing or something. <laughs> as opposed to like you know you don't think the guard heard you. Well, mm, I don't have that. Maybe you don't like that uncertainty
0: what i enjoy about this the aspect of the clocks and i kind of came stumbled across it the epiphany if you will while prepping for this episode but you know this is a a system where the gm is not rolling and an interesting way is like everything is dictated by player row so you know if you're rowing sixes and you know unless you know you're up against some really high odds or something like that then you know you're going to You know, get off scot-free, you don't have to worry about Mm -hmm. hit points or anything like that. Not quite a segue in this, talking about Band of Blades, but as I was going through the Horned Ones intro scenario, I was kind of thinking about maybe I was talking about it a little bit later on. I realized that the text had nothing about where the Chosen and the Elite were fighting. It mentioned that they had clocks and so forth, but they didn't actually have hit points, and it finally occurred to me as I was reading this that well, those are probably, if you got these two badasses battling it out, and you're trying to do this at another, if you fail a row, then you probably have distracted somebody. And then your chosen one's clock is going to go up a tick or two as a result of the failure. So it's that's kind of cool. I had not considered that until I was actually sat down and talking about it, that you could pretty much do hit points if you wanted to off of a clock it was just mainly like you were talking about beforehand like alerting someone or a long-term project like we were trying to in our band of blade or band of blades in the dark game we were trying to spruce up our hideout so to speak
1: yes yes i think i think a similar system exists in in a few games for like chase rules where you sort of break down distance into like abstract chunks and succeed mm-hmm. you fill them up and and uh, if you know the the other person like gets away. You start reducing them. Um, so like you can absolutely do like a chase scene with clocks as well. You know the, the the guy's got the package and he's running through the town. You know you need to you need to like do some parkour to uh, to get around the corner before him or something mm-hmm. like that.
2: Cool, Joe. You have anything you want to add on that? Not, not really. They covered everything. It's just you know they encourage the use of clocks to replace other game mechanics as well. Adam, you mentioned in hand of blades when um and we'll get into the what this actually means later when a chosen is fighting one of the what what are they called fallen burned broken broken okay you know it's just a clock because there's you know the game mechanics don't don't cover those actions but you could you could replace that with anything it could be a gang fight is you could say you have x segments until your gang loses if it's like a big you know gangs of new york style Slash uh, McClintock no. Jets,
1: <laughs> yeah, like a like a street brawl, <laughs>
2: yeah, street brawl until it gets resolved, or you could say it was until one side or the other loses or wins. So you have a you know, any sort of large or unusual game mechanic or, or, or unusual event that the mechanics might not cover sufficiently um, or effectively, they would they, they kind of encourage you to to replace it with a clock that allows the PCs to take their actions while this other large thing is occurring outside of that.
0: Okay. I didn't consider gangs in New York, but that's a great example. So if you all will, let's go back in time. Let's go back. Oh, two years ago, happier days. We're at Gen Con. We're sitting at Fogo de Chow with all the RPPR fans. at the the, what was our annual little uh, foray to Fogo de Chow, which is a great business steakhouse. I I remember us all sitting at the table. I can remember I was sitting near Patrick. I was sitting I Joe I can I think you were sitting further up the table than me. I remember you being there. But I remember I was by Daniel and Maddie and all. So there was a real nice little accent whiplash going around, going around with
2: all of us <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. The wait staff was probably extremely confused.
0: <laughs> and I was talking about man, I would like to really buy Star Wars. Like, I was thinking about getting the Fantasy Flight, I think, are the ones that make it, like the Age of Rebellion or whatever kind of Star Wars game. And Daniel, who had been on this big uh, Force in the Dark kick, was like, well, you can actually do this in uh, Blades in the Dark. Or, or not Blades in the Dark, but Scum and Villainy. And he, like, I was like, I want to be a Jedi. Can I be a Jedi? I'm like, nope, you got a Jedi right here.
1: Yep, and so, Mystic with the, uh, the side blade.
0: <laughs> I really... Again, that was that was honestly after I left that conversation. I mean, all it takes is a Danish man telling me what to buy, and then I'm like, well, fuck yeah! I guess I guess I'll just go out and buy it. But I went out and bought, you know, Band, uh, *Blades in the Dark*, and I went out and bought *Scum and Villainy*, both of which I read. I mean, ran I've read them. But I tell you what, it kind of impressed upon me here is just there's so many properties that are kind of bouncing up around this. Uh, this particular system so scum and villainy could be firefly scum and villainy well it's inspired by firefly uh it could be star wars it could be i guess trigon Gen or uh, cowboy bebop if i was going to run one i'd rather do it in a cowboy bebop kind of vibe so we have that particular property and then we've kind of mentioned a couple hacks that were going on going around such as like the fistful of darkness is that what it was called
1: that's the cowboy one yeah fistful of darkness
0: and then the the more Proper one, I wouldn't say proper, but published one that we're getting ready to talk about right now, what I'm hoping to run, Bands of Blades. I think my big selling point on it, I like the system. I like something that I can tell myself is low prep, rules light, which is a little more complicated than the others. But I really was drawn into Band of Blades with its influences. I got interested in the black company. I can't remember. I think it was Richard. It, it mentioned Black Company around me, and I, I jumped into it. And then I basically found a game that is not quite, but it's almost the Black Company with the numbers filed off of it, which is Band of mm-hmm. Blades. Yep. Yeah. so kind of jumping into it, that particular game, also fortune in a Dark System, there is a great big battle of, what the hell would you call it? What was the one in, not Helm's Deep, what was the big one? At, the Fields uh, of
1: Palinor. Yeah,
0: the Fields of Palinor, and you lost. And your army is in retreat, and you're trying to make it back to Skydagger Keep. I think it's what Skydagger yes. Sky, Skydagger yeah. Keep. And uh, you, the entire game is about you know fighting the undead or the broken, and so forth. As you were le- with your chosen after a failed last stand, that you were just going to totally kick everybody's ass. And the entire game is just set with you, but it's just getting back to that keep for that. I guess ideal one last stand is like to kind of jump ahead.
1: Yeah, that's that's the end game. Is you sort of tally up everything you've done, and it's the final battle at Skydiger Keep. Is it?
0: Is the impression of that just to survive, or is the impression of that as you defeat the Cinder King? I've I've never read. You don't
1: defeat the Cinder King. He doesn't appear in like the the game directly. It's it's against the chosen, the the, the specific one of the specific broken. Um, they like final force. Uh, the idea is you have to get there before winter and, and muster up because hopefully the winter will will well, the winter will be easier on the undead than it is on you, so you need to get somewhere safe. Um, yeah.
2: and uh, yeah, the anticipation, yeah, like it's just a holding position is uh, so, yeah, it's it's a very uh, depressing game in that the best you could do is make it to a fortress you're not sure you're going to be able to hold by winter time. The back of Book Matter indicates that they might produce some sequels to the game. So, the, the, uh, Band of Blades is very interesting in that it's less. A lot of games being produced recently are like pretty tightly focused. Like, we want to accomplish one goal, we want to emulate one genre, or we want to recreate this one style of play uh, or film or book or what have you. But, Band of Blades is not only trying to recreate a pretty specific kind of fantasy which is like dark fantasy not grim dark bullshit like 40k or warhammer or whatever like dark fantasy where hard choices need to be made the players aren't required to be you know monsters but like stuff is hard and chances of victory are slim but also that it has effectively a pretty specific scenario it's like um it's like A Pathfinder adventure path with the game attached, but that's really the only thing you can play with it—is this one adventure path? It's got a lot of branch, possible branches, but the beginning and end game are kind of set.
1: Yeah, because like the usual game is like you have the rules and the law, and then like a starter scenario, and that's like one one session, right? Right. And Mm -hmm. and Band is sort of like trying to do the first season of the TV show because you're like getting to sky dagger keep and you have like a finale built in and the path that you're taking is too long for like that but it's also not like the whole the whole narrative because like the cinder king's still there and it says like and it wants you to keep points at the very end to sort of add up to sort of see what the starting situation of whatever happens after sky dagger is but yeah they haven't come out with what happens after sky dagger so i don't
0: know the systems are fairly fairly similar kind of touch it on it's a darker game is that you're not as robust so we alluded to it with blades in the dark if you take a take in stress well you could go out and indulge in vice and go out on a bender and it relieves stress so your your characters not only like they're they're more real they they're more fragile i guess is a better way to put it there you are you're taking these things that I think, isn't there's some mechanics to get rid of stress a little bit? Like,
1: Yeah, you can do like rest and recreation and stuff like that.
0: But it's just, yeah, it's it's a more brutal game. You're not a badass uh, thief, so to speak. You're just a soldier in a legion. And I'll tell you something else. I was really interested in just low prep quotation marks of this whole system, but I was also interested in the fact that blades, uh, Band of Blades is a game where it's very much drop-in, drop-out, which is something that I really think would benefit RPX for the most part. Just given schedules, some of us are working in retail, different time zones, life happens anyway. You're really not necessarily playing the same character, so to speak. So you could... there different classes there's like rookies and then there's the the elite what were there's a special name for them it's specialists specialists so you could you know you have a sniper or you have a scout or you have a medic which the medic is actually kind of the best one of them all at least for versatility (laughs) so i could play the game and i'm playing the medic and then when i quit the understanding at the table is if i don't make it to the next session or whatnot like this is not my character this is kind of a community character now i think when joe and i were speaking earlier we played with the idea of like if we could create one specialist just you know that's joe's specialist, or that's nick's specialist. that was something we kind of played with the idea of but it's pretty much community
1: yeah i mean there's there's also the level of command which is like the marshal the quartermaster the spymaster look people like the, the high command people who aren't going to be on the field Um, and do some like the bookkeeping stuff that might need to be like a solid core and also like the way that the missions are structured even if you had a regular group the only time you're really going to have all the specialists on one mission is like the very first mission because you'll often have like a primary and a secondary mission which will both require at least one specialist um so so yeah, you'll you'll be you can't play the sniper because the sniper had to go off on the secondary mission, which means you have to play something else. I think it's a good point to kind of jump in with that
0: host structure. So you pretty much have got you know, whereas Blades in the Dark, you had there were rows. There was like free play or structure. It was like a four part structure. There was free play. There's the engagement row, so that's when you're, you know, getting ready to do your heist. Then there's the the actual score, so you're doing the job, and then you have your downtime. Now in Band of Blades, that's a little bit different because the missions will typically start out with the command structure. So it's like you were talking about beforehand. You have your core. So there's let's see, the captain, I guess, or commander. There's the
1: marshal, yeah,
0: quartermaster,
1: and then keeper and spymaster are optional.
0: Yeah. So you got those and then they can, you know, you're you're kind of picking your mission. So the GM's gonna provide missions and then I think it's gonna be the commander that picks it. And then I think it's the marshal decides who's gonna go. Yeah. Quartermaster provides the goods. And then there's other things that like I think if you had the spy master, if you had like a group of five or I think there's like the core four. But if you had an extra person playing the spy master, then, you know, they could even decide, well, we're going to, I'm going to send the spy up to the next city we're going to and try to get some intel or stuff like that, basically gathering resources for future endeavors. And then you actually do the engagement part of it to where you're going to play your mission out. And then I think it's still the marshal that's going to roll basically, I think it's like a fortune row that decides the secondary mission's fate. I think that's the commander. Oh,
1: commander. But yeah, the secondary mission is entirely up to uh, a role. Right. One role. Right.
2: Um, yeah, it's weird in that in that it's it's got a bifurcated structure. It's got the high-level command structure where the characters roll very infrequently, but they still still get role-played. That's often who gets role-played in camp. Um, at least rules is written. Um, and then you have the actual soldiers who are going to be out on a mission Uh, many of whom are interchangeable uh, for the players, um, and most of whom will just be guys. As we say in sports, just a guy. (laughs) You know, just just rando soldiers who happen to be along for the ride. And where it does differentiate itself from the other games, forged in the dark games, is that uh, the GM has to do a lot more prep ahead of time, while the commander you know while the high level characters the commander marshal etc are going to you know through the players are going to tell the gm here's what our next plan is this is what our next mission is going to be the gm sort of has to provide them with some options as to what they want to do and then they'll have to plan at least a little bit more intensely than you would for blades in the dark or scum and villainy which is just blades in the dark in space how that Adventure is going to work, and uh, there, in in a way, there isn't in the other games. There is a uh, they use a clock to force the players along, so you can only stay in one region on the map they provide you with for a certain amount of time. Uh, if you overstay that time, you get swamped by the enemy army of undead, and uh, yeah, it's that's basically it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, so there's time and there's pressure. Pressure yeah. being the the presence of the local and dead on your heels, and then time being like, "Hey, winter's fucking coming."
2: Yeah, gotta get out of here. Gotta get somewhere safe.
1: Yeah, so like, when do you move on? If you move on, do you use horses, which are a limited thing? Like right. You have you have a number of horse points.
2: There's a lot of resource management, um, because you know you have the the whole the whole point of this game is that you're a small force of a much larger broken army, basically simultaneously retreating to a safe position, hopefully, and fighting a rearguard action against the advancing army. And all of the rules are built around that, uh, including um, interactions with locals in the area you're traveling through. That could mean getting supplies. It could be trying to warn the the cities that you're traveling that you might travel past. That they might have to leave. That might that will include trying to recruit more troops for your unit, so that you know if you lost three soldiers last time, you're going to need people to replace those with, etc.
1: Yeah, yeah. I would sort of make a comparison to like a Call of Cthulhu in that it's a bit about a, it's sort of a death spiral. Like you're yes. gonna lose people quite a bit, and you need to try and like sort of make a profit by the end of things. Like you need to have enough people. With you at the at the end of things that you can meaningfully make a last stand, but losing people will often be unavoidable.
0: Lord, we'd already mentioned the fact that you can get blighted. So on top of being stressed, and you can get stressed out to you're an NPC, you can also basically get corrupted by the undead that you're fighting. And there's I think like four levels to that corruption. Yeah. So till you're, you know, you're the you're the job. Yeah. But yeah. Other than that, I got kudos to you know, Evil Hat in general for their games, having such great maps. I mean, Blades in the Dark has a great one at Duskwall, but you know, that the map really is shining through on the Band of Blades. Cause it, you know, I mean, you pretty much have your entire game plotted out. Like you mentioned beforehand, multiple paths, but you can get like a very beautiful map that, you know, something you can reference. I bought the book. I'd like to give a quick shout out to Sean Netner. I purchased this game, this book at Gen Con. And then as you know, we came, I came closer to the hoe, I'm going to run this game. I realized that they, that the people who pre-ordered it and purchased it online, had access to a PDF. Now, I, I think I ended up purchasing this through uh, what's that? Free Press Media or what? What's one of those? They they do red markets and all that too. Oh,
1: but Indie Press Revolution.
0: Indie yeah. Press. I think I purchased it through them, and I contacted them, and they they could give me the PDF copy of the book. But I actually went ahead and emailed. Uh, evil hat and provided them. Thank God that Gen Con pur- purchases, or you do have a credit card, you get like, a digital receipt, and I forwarded it on and I received an actual beautiful little black and white and colored map, you know, no questions asked. So thank you very much for that. That was very nice. But yep, to get back on it, yeah, the, it has a great little map, and that's a very large focal point to this. So, I mean, there's and there's such a deep lore that we don't really have time to go into right now. When you're t- we're talking about our, our broken and our chosen, which are chosen where, you know, in a nutshell, your scenario you're dealing with is the gods that kind of interact with people, but they're kind of ambivalent toward them as well. Called upon a chosen, but unlike all the other times, there was eight or seven or eight chosen. And basically the cinder king, which is a zombie king, whatnot, it has unknown powers and so forth. When at the encounter, he broke them. And now you have maybe one of two, I think, that's alluded to. There may be another chosen out there, but you're only really playing with one chosen in your party as you are making your way back. And the interesting part, and Joe and I were kind of going through this a bit with character creation, is the chosen that you pick also dictates certain perks that you get in the game. So there was one that we were looking at that's really gung-ho, and uh what was the one that like if we got infected she'd kill us what was it is that zara
1: or shreya
0: shreya or Shreya? yeah the
1: sort of chosen a like sort of like you're choosing your sub genre so like <laughs> they're all military but do you want to do like you know heroic guns blazing do you want to do like they're in the trees uh like special operations Do you want to be uh more like uh devote devoted and, and and stoic warriors yeah
0: And as as the same token, when you're picking the broken, you pick two broken that you'll encounter throughout the course of the game. You are picking the flavor of the horror that you're going to face. So the names are alluding me, even though I'm like three pages away. But, you know, if you wanted to deal with one that is body horror, then you're going to pick one particular one. If you want a different type of horror combat, you'll pick another of the broken. So this is one of these games that it's a Session Zero would definitely aside getting characters set up and getting
2: your players used to it there's uh, a little bit of world building that's going to take place before yeah and know in session zero is recommended for most games but it's 100 percent a requirement for band of blades you can't play the game without a session zero if you do session one that's going to be your session zero because it's going to take you all however many hours
1: yeah um and and it's also helpful for like as you say managing turn expectation like we have in, in one of my home games, like a guy who who can't do body horror, so that means you're choosing that, like, really informed our choice. You know, we 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 had to choose the two that weren't oh, yeah. So, so with, with broken, you're choosing two, um, so two antagonists and one friendly, basically. So, we we ended up, you know, that that was our choice made for us, like, because we we couldn't pick one, we had to pick the other two. Um, so yeah, one one was I think, blighter is body horror render is sort of you know the, the the crushing facelessness of industrialized war uh and then the third one's name i, forget. I think it's like stormbreaker and she's yeah. like she's magic she she's the one that it that does magic and i think there's like a degree of like mind control to her things
2: blader breaker and render so i think breaker is the magic one yes she is
1: so yeah you you you, you choose the form of your destroyer as much as you you know you, you choose the form of your, your ally
0: I think the biggest complaint that I've ever read about the entire game was when you're... It's the scale, when you're trying to determine scale and effect in this game, particularly in uh, Blades, uh, Band of Blades. I think uh, that's the biggest critique I've found online and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You're, you're trying to deal with, uh, I think, uh, the potency threat and scale aspect of it. Yeah. So, you know, it, if it can inflict level 5 harm on you, then obviously... You know you're not going to be able to stand up against it. So there's a lot more kind of finagling that may take at the table. Like, well, if you do this, it's going to be this. Well, what if I had the rookies, the Ravenclaw? No, that's, that's Harry Potter. I can't remember each of the little. Uh, yeah, there are a Just number hundreds, of yeah. units. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you it, there's going to be a little bit of negotiation It's yeah, some so point. Like, I, are you
1: fighting on your own? Yeah, are you using? Uh, special equipment. Yeah. Uh what what is the, the scale of the thing you're fighting? So like a zombie is fairly easy to kill, but a twelve foot tall zombie that's made of like three stitched together wolves is gonna be a harder prospect to just like go up and punch. You don't wanna do that.
0: Yeah, and scale rules. Like you may have yeah. a badass sword, but if you're fighting a horde of zombies, it's just
2: Yeah, it's one badass sword. How many zombies <laughs> are you gonna kill with it before they swamp you? Yeah. Uh corruption yeah. is also a big theme in the game
1: yeah it's sort of like um like a chaos corruption kind of thing
2: yeah yeah both in that the enemies you're fighting are all corruptive corrupted and corruptive and that you know uh, almost certainly some of the characters are going to get corrupted over the course of play and then the question is what do you do about it like is that a death sentence do you try and hold on as long as you can you know uh, it, it Brings in the, the zombie question of, you know, if you get bitten by a zombie, do you just kill that person outright or or what do you do about this? And it's it's very similar.
0: And it, that also kind of plays in when we were picking our chosen in our particular session zero for this game. we There's one of the abilities that we can unlock is that that chosen can uh, alleviate corruption to a certain degree. So, you know, it's a, like each of these things kind of feed into one another in this game,
1: which is really cool. Yeah. It's also one of the things where like, I know it's not, li- I don't think it's listed, I did check on this, but one of the things that struck me really strong, it might be just because of like my particular childhood, but um, the Gaunt's Ghosts novels, which are Warhammer 40k tie-in, um, were like the thing I was, I was really s- struck as like, oh, this is like that for, uh, for this. And that's the premise of that is um, that there is this one regiment that's only just been founded. In the empire in the in the imperium when their world falls so they are the tanith first and only um you know they, they are like they don't have a command structure because they didn't have like because like the general died on the planet kind of things So like the highest rank officer is not even in the right command chain kind of thing and and they're just like making their way trying not to get overwhelmed in a much bigger and and, and hostile universe and dealing with you know corruption and aliens and blah blah, blah. And that's that's one of the things that definitely Resonated with me when I was reading Band of Blades.
0: If, if you don't mind, Patrick, you care to kind of, you've actually played at least one session or a couple of sessions of Band of uh, Blades?
1: Most of a campaign.
0: Oh, okay. Sweet. What's your, any, any kind of takeaways that you could possibly give people on the playing the game and um, decisions you make?
1: Yeah. Um, it, it is, it does have a few things that, like, like in, in, um, Blades in the Dark it has a couple of things that might make it a little unintuitive to begin with, like the idea that you're not always playing your character. Um, like one of the cornerstones of most RPGs is, you know, I am playing Grognor the Barbarian and I turn up to the session and I play Grognor. I don't sometimes play Dweenar the Wizard, right? Well, no, you you, you can't play Grognor today because he's over there fighting that guy. So you need to be uh like okay with that and comfortable with you know today not playing someone else and and that's often not decided until like the session's already begun um so yeah just don't get too invested in the specialist as being your player character uh the other thing which i I would call like kind of a gripe is i don't think the chosen are created equally it's not just a matter of like they're playing different things but the so they can be leveled up as well as as player characters like if, if you um in the map you'll encounter certain uh like shrines and missions with certain keywords that might uh, empower them so like one of the missions you'll come across might be like hey go like defend this shrine from the undead and the reward is you get a relic and the chosen gets uh one of the chosen the horned one um just gets fewer of those uh keywords on the map uh, so it's it i don't know if it was intended as like a difficulty setting but it it's you're effectively playing with like a weird level cap that I when we encountered that, we were like, "Oh, well, that sucks for us because we picked the horned one." Um, can and and we went online and checked on the forums and, and like it's a known flaw. Um, so if there was ever a like revised edition or a one point one, I would recommend like distributing keywords on the map differently.
2: Yeah, um, that's also something that the GM could fix in game, but you shouldn't, any, you shouldn't have to. That's right, especially when it's this specifically designed. When it when the design is so explicitly design uh, tied to the events as they're already kind of laid out. Uh, moreover, any kind of moving any of the lore parts really does change the game pretty drastically. Uh, it appears from reading the book, anyway.
1: Yeah, like there's a bit at the back where it says like it, they they have these bits in like all the Fortune in the Dark games, but like hacking the game, you know, coming up with new moves or whatever, and where it says like okay, call the zombies robots and you have a sci-fi game. My dude, you wicked don't. You've made yeah. a game that is super tied in to this one specific thing and you have really and like, I don't know why they put that there. They could have just like not done yeah. that and, and just said like, just this, said this is the, this is the game. We've, we've built it this way. It's intended to be played this way and, and I'd respect that a
2: bit more. Screw with it at your own risk.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, Because I think like as, as I say, all the law being there and all the systems being set up the way they are, um, to do anything in it other than the campaign setting specifically set up, like that map specifically set up, I think would take a lot of work. Um, you know, if, if you wanted to do something other than specifically the march to start to Skydagger Keep, um, like the march to some, like even if it was the march to somewhere else, or if it was something other than this time pressure, like that takes a lot more to change than some of the other games. So I think it's less uh, hack friendly. You're sort of you have to be aware that you're coming into it not just getting the game, but also getting the campaign, I think. I guess I put it as. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and, and that's another weird thing compared to the other Forged and Dark games. You know, uh, Blades in the Dark, you could remove the Dusk vault setting, which is very interesting and appealing, but you could take that out and put it in nineteen thirty Chicago yeah. and just do it. It would be almost exactly the same. All the systems would work. You'd have to change the name of a couple skills, maybe.
1: Yeah, or like you could play the the blue coats instead of the the criminals, and like right, and right, yeah, what absolutely. Like do, that doesn't take nearly as much.
0: Which is pretty much the hack of wardens in the garden, I think.
1: Yeah, I've seen a few actually, like vigilantes, a different crew type, which is more centered around like um, taking back districts of the city from criminal gangs, kind of thing. Like that's just a playbook to do something like that in in. Um, Band of Blades would require like a whole new map as well, and yeah, ri- getting rid of time and pressure, and yeah, it's 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 not yeah. hack friendly. It's like if you know you bought DD and you were only able to play Curse of Strahd. Like Curse of Strahd's fine, but I might want right. to play you know Tomb of Horrors occasionally or something. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, one of my closing thoughts on this particular game,
0: and I also want to give you guys a question on it as well. So uh, I would recommend if anyone is interested in playing uh Blades that you look at the Row 20 assets. So I purchased in preparation. It's kind of like everything I do. I'll go out and spend money. And then I'm like, now you are obligated, Adam. You've invested a whole $20 into this, <laughs> uh, aside from the book. But if you do go ahead and purchase this, you, you get not only the beautiful map that all your players can see, but it's got all the different, Character sheets, and there's some handouts and some handy stuff for the GM to sit there and kind of reference, like, for example, there's a whole page I'm kind of looking at right now on threat and harm and whatnot. So this is one of these, if you're wanting to play it and you're you're doing it on an online setting, I guess you could do it at a table, too, and people looking at it. But it's a nice aid, and I would definitely recommend it. It's beautiful and uh, seems to have quite the utility to it.
1: Yeah, it's definitely pretty impressive. Like the sheets. I don't sure if the sheets cost, I think we might have found those elsewhere, but I, there might be like just the character sheets, and then you need something else. It's yeah, yeah. But it also has like the read me and the all the summary and all the rule information's on there. It's you kind of have the book on the roll twenty as well. Yeah.
0: After I spent an hour one Saturday morning, and I was so proud, and I told Joe about it, and he gave me a thumbs up, and that's all I really needed from Joe was just a big thumbs up. Thank you, Joe, for a thumbs up you gave me months ago. <laughs> no I made it. I found some clocks online, and I read around, and I imported them into uh, Row Twenty, and and it took a little bit of time. And all those clocks, if you purchase assets, you'll save yourself about an hour's worth of time, and you know, they're readily available to you as well. So, yeah, I, th- I think it makes uh, not only just a read me, but it's I think it's a, a, a decent little addition. I don't regret buying it. I look forward to actually using it, and that's why I bought it, to make myself use it. Here's my question to you all real quick. This has been mentioned of my GMing style in the past. I've been accused of, and it's not a bad thing, but I've been accused of being a benevolent GM.
2: How... Yeah, yeah. yeah, I
0: know. A nice guy. And I think, I don't know if really much of a question is a statement. It's like, that's as somebody who's getting ready to run it. I wonder how what kind of toll it's going to take on me. Like I'm getting invested in these characters. I'm invested in the stories, and I really want to see them succeed. And I'm sure it's like any game that you're running in general. But this one in particular, I'm preparing myself for things that I typically don't have to deal with in my games that I run but it's not a bug it's a feature so i'm i'm still going to go through with it i think it'll be great fun but i don't know it's it does ha- i do have my concerns with running this as far cuz it's like we kind of mentioned beforehand it's kind of grim dark
1: and yeah i mean i've not i've not run it i've only played it but i mean in terms of tone i mean this is sort of what a session 0 is for like and, and especially like a, a narrative about war can really touch on some very distressing um things so i think a a a strong and vigorous session zero is probably going to be your friend if you're having these these thoughts over, like, okay, you know, cities are being ransacked. What are we okay with seeing? Like, you know, harm yeah. um, um, coming to children, desecration of religious symbols. Uh, you know, different sorts of because you've also got like the the human cost of war on top of like the gribbly zombies and weird witches. Yeah,
2: and the fact that you know. You're selfishly trying to survive, knowing that you're going to be leaving all the, the populace that inhabits the location behind because you can't possibly stop this force. So, you know, your retreat is going to leave a lot of damage in its wake. And how much of that do you want to talk about? Like, how much, how much do players want to, aside from, you know, uh, X card materials, you know, stuff you want to keep out of the game? like how much are your players going to be invested in talking about, uh, the personal price of war? Yeah. Uh, if they're not really interested in that, it's probably not the right game. Yeah. <laughs> Very true.
0: All right, gentlemen. So Joe, I'm going to run it. I promise. I'm going to run it. I'm going to do right. it. I'm, I'm ready. i looking forward to it. <laughs> Patrick, you're definitely welcome to jump on in. Thank uh, you. It, <laughs> drop in, drop out. You're welcome to play any role you want to, man. So I'm looking forward to it. And I, I appreciate having the opportunity to sit down with you guys and discuss this. I want to kind of touch on just a few things that I've been doing in my day to day life. A couple quick shout outs. Uh, You know, I don't just edit podcasts. Yes, I do fucking edit podcasts, Chris, if you're listening to this. But, um, you know, I would like to kind of tell you all that I buy video games because the idea of me playing video games makes me happy. But I don't have time because I'm busy working. So I got to make more money to buy video games and role-playing games and stuff like that. So I've kind of been in that vicious cycle. But I bought some games over the summer. And over the past couple of weeks, I finally sat down and beat the Final Fantasy VII remake. I started on it probably in June. And that's how long it takes me to beat a 60-hour game is you know a couple months. But I don't want to say too much about it. And I've kind of briefly mentioned it in the past. And I was playing it, but being a child of the '90s, grew up. I played, you know, the first Final Fantasy. Well, That's actually my first PlayStation game. I played Final Fantasy VII. Fell in love with it, and it. I had waited for a remake for years, and when it finally came out, I've got to play it. And I mean, well, dope. Don't, don't, I got to play it. But I'm I'm pleased with the end result. We'll go ahead and put it that way. It's uh, different. It's a a remake, not a Uh, a remaster, so to speak. So if you played the original game, it's got a few little major twists that are going on in it, but I don't think it it takes away from it. I think it only adds to it. So, you know, Christmas time, if you see that for 30 bucks somewhere and, you know, you want to buy it for a loved one, I definitely would recommend it. And I think my second thing I want to kind of discuss is my group that I've been playing, not for this podcast, but I've been playing a Curse of Strahd campaign which has been fun. Mm-hmm. First big D&D game I've ever played in my life, really, other than like a one-shot here and there. But uh, one of the players, Aaron, different Aaron, there's all kinds of Aaron out there, he recommended the Joe Abercrombie series of the First Law trilogy. And it's kind of grimdark. I picked it up, kind of prep myself, got myself in the mind space of running Band of Blades, actually. And so for the past two months, I've kind of chewed through two of those novels, and I'm working on the third and final right now. So if you're wanting to look for it, look look for a, a different book to read. And if you don't mind, grim dark Fantasy, it's, I wouldn't put it on Black Company levels necessarily, but I mean, it does have its dark aspects. But it's a decent series, and one of the main characters is called Logan Ninefingers. And Joe, you want to know why they call him Joe Logan Ninefingers?
2: He's only got nine fingers.
0: There you go. Simple. But <laughs> sorry. But I <laughs> hey, it's a it's a decent book. If you all get a chance, to check it out. Anybody else have anything they'd like to share?
1: Uh I this is going to slightly date the um the podcast, but uh what's been quite good for my psychology is a Twitter account called uh Coping Marga, Copemaga, Uh which is just a a I, I could describe it as a Schadenfreuder aggregator. <laughs> yeah, Coping yeah. Marga, at Coping Maga, which is just uh Twitter account devoted to the uh, the funniest uh, breakdowns of uh, the the Red Cap Brigade uh, in the wake of uh, of Biden's victory in November. <laughs> it's been quite pleasing after four years of uh, people selling liberal tears mugs.
0: Funny how that works, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, and if that offends you, haha, You've already listened to the hour and a half of a podcast. <laughs> you fool! We've already we've already beaten you.
0: <laughs> we already have your number, your download analytics. <laughs> We get no money for it, but
1: yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, um, and also just like the concept of vets. Like uh, we had a a scare with uh, one of our cats got got injured, and the vets were really great, and he's now recovering really well. So thank you to all vets. Awesome,
0: awesome. Glad to hear he's doing well. Yeah, that's good news.
1: But not thank you to the billing department.
0: <laughs> well,
1: they're not back in the Patreon. You can pretty <laughs> much whatever you want to.
0: I'm not indebted to them. Hey Joe, have you got anything you'd like to shout out real quick?
2: Uh yeah, I'm I've been uh starting to read some westerns. I do that every once in a while. And I'm currently reading uh The Assassination of Jesse james Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford by uh Ron Hansen. It's pretty good. hansen has <laughs> got a pretty unique prose style.
1: Um They made a movie out of that one, didn't they? They did, yeah. With uh, Brad Pitt.
2: and Casey Affleck.
1: Uh yeah, it's it's pretty cool.
2: Um, it's different from most westerns in that it's got actual historical characters and that uh, it took place like it's about events that actually sort of took place.
1: Okay. What's the editorializing uh, in the title. Well. Like if they had 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 to play that asshole Hamlet, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. i think the only western books i've ever read
0: are the weird west ones by john lanagan or lanagan westerns are fun but they're often formulaic well their films certainly are i mean it's the books aren't that different <laughs> hey man sometimes you like some good pulp like, yeah i certainly do well ladies and gentlemen i'd like to thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Rope point exchange i hope that our conversation has been informative entertaining or all of the above If you find it to be all of the above and you would like to help us with our, to keep great content like this. Did anyone else do quotation marks on that? But great content like this coming to you, then you can certainly check out our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash the real point exchange. We are also on Twitter with, uh, we can get us at R-P-E-X-C-H-A-N-G-E. I don't know why I had to expel out exchange, but hey, just in case. And we also have a Facebook page, which we're facebook.com slash the RealPoint Exchange. And anybody else uh, want to add anything in on this before I cut it off?
1: Um, I don't think we've, we've got anything else to plug over. We? Nope. Wear a mask.
2: Yeah, don't be an <laughs> asshole. Of course, if we have to tell you to wear a mask, I think um, yeah. you're basically just stuck being an asshole.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in again for Roadpoint Exchange, and we will see you all next time. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye.